All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the CV Update. We are back for another weekend update. And this weekend, my brother Anirban is joining me to discuss the weekend sports action. Anirban, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Amartya. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well, though. Obviously, that Celtics game today was just absolutely disgusting. I mean, a 120 to 115 loss, that's where we'll start today. The Celtics blew a 24 point lead. And just when you thought that maybe they had turned a corner, they turn in an absolute dud in the second half against the New Orleans Pelicans, losing in overtime 120 to 115, a game where they blew a 24 point lead. Though Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they obviously had terrific games, 32 points for Tatum, 25 for Brown, but Kemba Walker only had 14 points, which wouldn't be that bad, except he was one for 12 shooting the three. And he's very bad down the stretch. He pretty much missed every shot down the stretch. So what do you think about the Celtics state right now? I mean, they're back at 500. It's been a very disappointing season following the season where they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year against the Miami Heat. Like what's happened that's caused them to really struggle this much? Is it like the loss of Marcus Smart? What do you think? Yeah, well, inconsistency has been the consistency for the Celtics this season. And I, don't, and I think there's a few reasons that this game just absolutely encapsulated. First of all, there's a lot of talk, I think, coming up now, especially about the role of Kemba Walker in the Celtics team and whether he's really lived up to exactly the conditions of his contract. I mean, Adam Hisselback had an article in the Boston Globe following the loss here about, you know, exactly what you're just talking about. Now, Kemba Walker, when he was originally signed here, wasn't kind of meant to be our super scorer. I guess he's meant to be an experienced player who our younger players like Tatum and Brown could look up to and and hopefully deliver You're like the guy before him, right? Kyrie Irving. He's supposed to be more of like a mentor type player to Tatum and Brown. And like, I think he's done that because I mean, Tatum and Brown have elevated their game to the next level with like Walker sort of acting as sort of like the leader for this team. And Kemba's a great guy and I'm not like disputing that, but yeah, I think it's just like, I don't know. Like, I think maybe like he's just sort of struggled to get back into his proper form. But at the same time, I don't really know if we can use that as an excuse for today because against the Hawks on Friday, he had 28 points. He looked really good against the Hawks. And even today he started off pretty good. It's just down the stretch. He wasn't great. So I don't know. It's just sort of been going on, but what were you saying? Like what else were you saying about that article? Well, I guess another point um, from Hisselback's article that I, I did kind of understand um, maybe as a positive from this game, however, was Robert Williams's performance. Cause I think especially the season we've been seeing Robert Williams really emerge to be the type of player we were kind of hoping he'd be for the Celtics. I mean, he's, He's posting some really some really good stats. He, he had he, a great um, game. Yeah, he had like a block. He had a couple blocks. He had a couple great like alley oop plays. Like he's a athletic player, and I think it's just going to come down to whether or not he puts in the effort. And he looks like he is now because like now I can kind of see an improved player. But really, I think this game just boils down to the fact though that. It's just Tatum and Brown at this point. Those are the only two scores. Like Kemba's very on and off. And obviously they really badly miss Marcus Smart and the defense he brings. Um, I really think they need another player at this point. Like obviously last year they had a guy like Gordon Hayward. And I know he got injured late, but during the season, I, I think having a guy like Hayward kind of shoulder that load at times was beneficial for them. And they don't have him anymore. So I don't know. Like it's just the depth of this team is just really Tatum and Brown. And then there's a drastic drop off. Like, do, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and another thing to consider is the Celtics are a very young team. You know, they have maybe, I was reading today, nine players who are 25 and under, right? And that's that's a type of team that can go really hot and cold, right? With youth comes a certain degree of inconsistency. But another thing about the chemistry that we're talking about, right? You have Tatum, Brown, Marcus Smart, and Kemba Walker. And I think the four of them collectively have played maybe a little less than half an hour 
cumulative this season, right? So how are you going to yeah. find chemistry with four of your, your leading stars when it's just not working out for them, right? And part of that, of course, is a situation wherein we all know Tatum had COVID and that he's still, to some degree, I think recently even stated, he's still kind of feeling those effects to some degree. We know Kemba Walker, of course, had his injuries. There's a lot of factors, of course, it's a perfect, a lot of factors beyond anyone's control. Um, but I guess those are things to acknowledge as difficulties. I mean, I think the point goes, because like, I don't know, at the end of the day, I think this team is still too talented to miss the playoffs. And that's what the NBA is going to come down to. I think in crunch time, they're good enough to make the playoffs. But you really wonder, like, how far is this team really capable of going? Like last year, they kind of got like a little bit lucky in the, I mean, not really got unlucky in a way, because obviously they lost to the Heat. But I think Milwaukee was really like that matchup night where, and obviously the Heat beat them and then beat the Celtics. But I don't know if that's going to happen again. Like if they're going to get that type of like path to the finals again, like last, I mean, you have to play through Brooklyn and James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, like those three, like it's, I don't see them beating the the nets, honestly. And I mean, so I really think maybe my like expectations for them is maybe a conference finals at best. Like it depends on when they play Brooklyn. If they play Brooklyn the first round, I think Brooklyn would beat them like five games or something. So I think it's really like, I don't know. Like I just don't think the ceiling of this team is, very high and that's kind of just that's kind of disappointing because last year they made it to the conference finals and if they had played better there like I really think they underachieved against Miami so we'll see but yeah I don't know like what do you think do you think um this team isn't a finals team like do you think this is like a second round team or at best or what do you think I mean it's one of those things too where there are a lot of games left to play in this season right where we're, we're in, um, and we've seen that Brad Stevens' teams do tend to pick up kind of later in the season. So, you know, maybe they do find their momentum. Maybe once maybe once you do get um, some of the key players back and getting some more chemistry, that could change. But, like, if you were asking me right now, I, I would also agree that this is not maybe even a team that – this is a team that would definitely struggle against against the Nets or let alone make it to the finals the way they are now. Um, and not of course, just Nets. Like, the, you have the Philadelphia 76ers. They've also played that uh, – they're improved, obviously, with Ben Simmons back. He wasn't there for the playoff series. They have a better coach in Doc Rivers instead of Brett Brown. So, yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting for sure. But, yeah, let's see. And <clears throat> I mean, this is this is the team that um, – you know, this is a team that beats the Nuggets, but then it, it got lost to the Wizards. It lost to the Pistons. You know, it blew a huge lead against the Pelicans, right? There's – um, it's not a very like good it, team. They're just inconsistent. They're not good, but you can't really say they're bad because I feel they've, yeah, they're basically just in the middle. And that's kind of not a good place to be in the NBA. Exactly, exactly. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I'm still definitely optimistic. I mean, with, with the type of talent the squad has, of course, we have two young players, Tatum and Brown, who are just playing absolutely phenomenal this season. Um, and I think Peyton Pritchard's definitely been a, a bright spot yeah, for us. Who I, mean, we I, think were not are, I think the rookie, like, I mean, for considering where you drafted him, like in the 22nd, I mean, he's delivered more because really when you draft someone 22nd overall, you're just hoping this guy's in the league. Like you're just hoping he can become like a decent player at best. And I mean, if this guy's like playing major minutes, like he's a solid player, he has room to grow. So I like Pritchard's game. Like I think he's a solid bench guy for this team, at least for now. And we'll see what happens. But yeah, no, like that's the Celtics state. Another very disappointing loss, kind of like an uneven weekend where they go two and two. Um, Really doesn't really answer much of the questions. I mean, they kind of, I don't know. I was hoping today, like if they had held on to beat in New Orleans, I would have said this was probably one of, they were looking really good. Like I would have said this was probably like a really good week considering how they sort of ended things, but I can't say that anymore. It's a very bad loss. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a very bad loss. And this is a very 
disconcerting loss. I mean, you're playing the Dallas Mavericks on Tuesday now, and obviously the Mavericks aren't a great team, but I mean, you have to deal with Luka Doncic now. So I don't feel great about the state of this team. I don't like the direction of this team, but that's sort of where we are at it. But anyways, let's go to baseball now. I think the big news for this week was obviously Fernando Tatis Jr. Signed a 14-year, $340 million contract. And that's just incredible. And just the list of players he joins now with contracts over $300 million. Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper, John Carlos Stanton, Garrett Cole, and Manny Machado. All those players are superstars. And Fernando Tatis, only 22 years old. Look, he's a great player, but what do you think of the contract? Do you think it's kind of something they'll regret down the road? I mean, 14 years is sort of hard to predict what everything will look like in 14 years, let alone like even, we don't even know what it will look like in five years, let alone 14 years. Like, what do you think? Do you think this is like a massive overpay on the Padres part? Very risky at this age? Yeah, so that's that's a good point, right? It's, it's it is polarizing to a certain degree. So one hand, on one hand, uh, I think there there is um, some understanding. I know Chris Quick mentioned this in a recent Sports Illustrated article that the MLB is moving towards a direction of deferred contracts, right? That is something that's happening. And uh, kind of a funny example of this, going back twenty years, was my man Bobby Panilla, who used to be for the New York Mets. And believe it or not. He's still getting paid a million yeah, dollars yeah. a year. Bobby Bonilla uh, Day every year, July first. Every year, so so you know that kind of set set the stage for that. But um, but in a more more uh, related note, right? There's a few factors on why you can expect contracts like these deferred contracts to become more common, right? First of all, uh, the inherent idea is that it keeps costs lower per year when you spread it out. But also the other thing is that the ownership isn't always there in the long run to actually see out the full consequences of these payments. So you can kind of expect that to be a factor. But that being said, I, I do think that this makes sense for San Diego for a few for a few key reasons, right? Because first of all, um, first of all, one thing to keep in mind about these these kind of max contracts is that they aren't actually always as, as unstable as people kind of talk to them about being, right? There's always um, some opportunity for a trade or opt-out if both parties come to agree. So for example, a few examples of players like Giancarlo Stanton, Zach Renke, Prince Fielder, Right. These were all players who signed max contracts for a very long term time, but they didn't work out with their teams. But that's fine because they deliver their goods for some time. And when it didn't work out, they just moved on to, to new trades. So the idea that the question kind of... now goes like this, what if you can't like trade the guy because it's become such an albatross? Like look at Miguel Cabrera. He used to be like the best hitter in the game, like in 2012, 2013, up to probably like 2015 or so. And now that contract, it's literally immovable because like nobody wants to touch it because he he's like really declined as a player overall. And that's why I sort of wonder, right? Cause like, obviously like he's young and like, I don't know, like maybe like it'll work out, but with these contracts, it's not really how it'll start off, but really how it'll end. And maybe like, I don't know, like obviously like this guy, and I, I say it about all these guys, like Mookie Betts, for example, signed like a 12 year contract or 13 year contract last year. Mookie Betts is not exactly young anymore. He's already like 28 or so, or yeah, he's 28. And if you consider like the fact that like, if you sign a 12 year contract, do you think Mookie Betts will still be the same player at age 36 or 37 that he is for the first, like that he is now. I don't think he is. And I don't think any of these guys personally are going to live up to that billing for all of their contract. I think Tatis has more of a chance because he's so young. Like he'll be 36 by the time the contract ends. And I still think like he could still become a serviceable player, but I don't know. Like, I really think these contracts are just sort of, you're asking for trouble down the road. Like obviously right now it might be like, you're. it's really, they should be kind of front loaded, but I don't know. Wait, what do you think about that? Do you think it's like kind of like you're asking for trouble potentially just because I don't know, like it's just 
you're basically like paying, you're basically rewarding them for what they've done early on. And you're not really thinking about the future when you should be, because that's what sports is all about. You always pay them because you should be paying them for what they're going to be giving you down the road, right? Yeah, so that, that's a good point. And, and I guess, um, I mean, that's that's definitely right. Every These contracts to a certain degree, there must be a certain amount of risk, right? But I guess in response to that, one one kind of important thing to think about is that the Padres have had a lot of experience getting burned with poor contracts in the last like half decade, right? With with um with I think AJ Peller who who's taking over in that trade, and and I think that's given them a lot of experience because I was reading a, an article in Bleacher Report actually by Abby Mastracco, and and one thing that they really talk about is how you know the um the the James Shields contract for example right in in 2014 2015 the Padres essentially went on a huge spending spree and essentially dishing out a lot of money for contracts and they and they got pretty burned on that right and i think James Shields was signed for 4 years for 74 million and back in 2014 but since then we've actually seen the Padres build a really long term plan in mind right that's why they've been able to build a bullpen with with pitchers like Yu Darvish that's why they recently had Manny Machado for 300 million and Eric Hosmer for 144 million. You know what's really funny about James Shields? They actually traded James Shields to the White Sox to get or Tatis. Exactly. Which is hilarious, actually, when I think about it. Because, but to be fair to the White Sox, Tatis at the time was a very raw prospect, and nobody could have like projected this really properly. So I don't really blame the White Sox. It was really just like kind of like you give up a prospect, and the prospect turned out to be the next big thing, but. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to really blame the White Sox because Tatis then is not who he is now. He has really, really worked hard to improve his game. And he's become like the face of the league going forward. He's flamboyant. He's really fun to watch. He's a great player. He's a great hitter. He's a great defender. He's going to be a great player in this league for a while. I just wonder. I just hope it works out for the Padres because he's a terrific player to watch. And I hope it works out for him. He's a great player. And I don't, I want him to at least see, maybe he'll bring the, uh, city of San Diego, its first championship. They've actually never won a championship. Chargers mm-hmm. and Padres. Yeah, I mean, um, kind of along that line, right? One one huge aspect of this move that perhaps I mean, I'm sure wasn't their primary intention, but it really does, I think, put San Diego in into the conversation of people who are really serious about challenging and willing to put in the resources, you know, put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, right? Because San Diego, I think a lot of people would say that they've been overshadowed in California by the Dodgers for quite some time, right? Even Just, the Giants, right? I mean, the even Giants the Giants, three World Series from 2010 to 14. The Dodgers won last year. So, yeah, I mean, they're kind of behind. I mean, they're the only, um, I think, yeah, it's actually true. They're the only California baseball team to not have a World Series among all of them the Athletics, the Giants, the Angels, the Dodgers. So, yeah, they're sort of feeling, maybe they're feeling some pressure now which they probably should have been feeling for a while now, but maybe it's finally catching up to them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an important consideration, right? Like what your neighbors do and, and kind of on the, as a tangent to that, uh, this is um maybe this is it let more related to like the long-term consequences to the league of this deal. But when you think of players like, like Juan Soto at the nationals, for example, who's currently managing contract extension, right. He could easily point to this type of contract and say, you know, give me something like this or I walk. Or I mean, he helped um, them win a World Series. So he has more leverage at this point than I would say Tatis did. And I mean, you also look at some of these contracts, like Ronald Acuna of the Atlanta Braves. He signed like an eight-year, $100 million contract. That looks like an absolute steal now for the Braves, considering what Tatis just signed. So it's very interesting. And I guess like now, like we were sort of talking about like the general landscape of baseball for 2021. And I don't know, like I'm looking at some of these odds and it's kind of interesting because 
obviously, like, I mean, from fan graphs, they published the odds and the Dodgers, and in the NL West, where the Dodgers and Padres are, the Dodgers lead it with 96.7% chance of making the playoffs. Padres, 92.9%. So this shows you pretty much the odds makers or betters. They expect big seasons out of both LA teams, like, sorry, of both the SoCal teams, not LA teams. But um, basically the Dodgers, I mean, they got Trevor Bauer, who's, arguably the best pitcher in free agency and they obviously just won the world series they have an absolute stack rotation they have a stacked lineup um do you, i don't know do you think this team is just pretty much like going to be going for the repeat again like i mean do you think they're going to be like able to get the repeat not go for the repeat do you think they'll, they'll be able to get the repeat or do you think they'll be like the chiefs and get there and get smashed i mean i guess from my perspective, I, it's pro- probably a little too early or, or still uncertain for me to make a prediction like that. Because when you think of, for example, the the Yankees are like the clear way favorites on the in the American Conference by like a long shot. But also, I am curious to see what happens now that the Padres have kind of infused so much intent, as well as I, I feel like we're about to kind of see either this year or next year really that the fruits of their their long term plan, so to speak, with their really pretty pretty effective and competitive bullpen as well as, of course, Machado, Hosmer, um, Tatis. So I'm, all, I'm also pretty curious about how far they'll go in, and if they'll actually be able to pose a, a serious threat to the Dodgers. Though, unfortunately, um, doesn't look like it'll be the Red Sox for this year. Yeah, no, well, speaking of the Red Sox, I mean, I'm actually a little bit surprised because obviously they traded Andrew Benintendi away really I mean, if you guys listened in to on the show last week, Rohan and I discussed why we don't understand that move. We think it's a bad move, but I don't know. I think just like in general, like this team, it seems like they were sort of trending in the wrong direction. Obviously they traded Mookie Betts away. A move I was actually okay with just because I don't think he was going to resign here. So at least you got a guy like Alex Verdugo back and you traded David Price, who was never happy here to begin with. He had his moments, 2018, he was big. I give him props for that, but I don't know. I think like for the Red Sox this season, it's actually kind of impressive that they have a 47 percent chance of making the playoffs and i know that's still more likely than not but i would say it's like i mean if you had asked me probably at the start i would probably would have said like 15 so 47 percent chance means like still they're like that means at least like they should be competitive at least and i don't know like i think this team is sort of like in this weird state where I don't know, like, like some people bring it up, like it's almost like 2013 when they weren't expected to be competitive. They were, so, they were coming off the last play season with Bobby Valentine. And then they, of course, won the World Series and that sort of changed how everything was going. Like, I don't know, like, what do you think about the Red Sox this season? Like, obviously Chris Sale's on the 60-day disabled list. I don't, or I guess injured list. They don't say DL anymore, disabled list. So the injured list. Um, I don't know, like obviously if he comes back and can kind of give you anything, then that's a bonus. So you have Eduardo Rodriguez. The rotation... I think it's interesting because you have guys who can potentially make things sort of like, I don't know, can give you competitiveness like on night in, night out. And they still have a pretty good lineup, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Rafael Devers. But yeah, do you think the Sox at least could be like a wild card, at least kind of be decent to watch, not like a great team, not going to win the World Series, but do you think they can at least be like competitive at the end and at least give a, like a interesting product to watch on the field on like what happened last year? Yeah, I think um, I think there's definitely it was a pretty favorable rating, but I think part of it also reflects kind of what an anomaly in some ways last season would have been, considering the type of players they had available. And also, when you think of about, uh, for example, Eduardo Rodriguez will be returning uh, this season too. So that's you know we have, we do have players whose journeys are different, and perhaps if Chris Sale does um, return to make a contribution this season, that's also something. But also one thing to keep in mind actually is that. 
Uh, I don't know if Sean Penny mentioned this in fan side that we're actually only a few percentages behind a team like the Blue Jays, for example, um, in terms of in terms of our playoff hunt, right? And that's actually pretty favorable when you consider the Blue Jays are arguably in a weaker division. I mean, the Rays only have a 19% or 18.6, and they literally went to the World Series last year, beat the Yankees, who are 91.6% like favorites to win that division. So, I mean, it's interesting to sort of see like how everything is sort of been played out obviously the race traded away Blake's now and we'll see how that impacts their team but they've always been that type of team where they're able to sort of trade off anyone who's expensive and sort of go with the next kind of cheap option that's really how they have to roll because they don't have the same resources as the Yankees the Red Sox the Dodgers and considering all that they've done an impressive job so I, I still think the Rays are very like I don't know. There's still the team to sort of look out for and see maybe they can make some noise again. And I just think it's kind of funny that the Orioles actually have a 0.0% chance. Like it literally means like there's not even any chance that anything funny could happen. Like the, the Rockies have a 0.1% chance. Like I don't know who comes up with these odds, but I just thought it was kind of funny <laughs> that these odds were sort of like, like this, where the Orioles literally have 0.0% chance. It's literally not like at all possible. Like it is impossible statistically according to fan graphs so yeah it's just some funny details but yeah no let's see what happens with the red sox this year obviously i'm hoping for like a competitive season last season was absolutely atrocious to watch on as a fan and we'll see but i guess like now let's just talk about uh football a little bit obviously it's been two weeks since the super bowl and i guess for the patriots they got to see their old quarterback their old ex win another super bowl and defeat the kansas city chiefs and they still have a quarterback question to answer. And we saw a quarterback move, but it wasn't to the Patriots. Carson Wentz of the formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles, officially that relationship with the Eagles got so bad, it resulted in a trade. And Wentz got traded to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for a third round pick in 2021 and a conditional second round pick in 2022 that becomes a first round pick if he plays in 75% of the snaps. And I personally think that for the Colts, this is an absolute bargain just because now Wentz is back with his old offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, who is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. But Reich was the coordinator of the Eagles back in 2017 when Wentz had his career season, that MVP season before, of course, he tore the ACL. Then with Reich sort of leading the offense, Nick Foles led that Eagles team to a Super Bowl championship. So I think right now Wentz is probably in the ideal situation. If he has any chance to salvage his career, it's with Frank Reich as the guy. Because Doug Peterson, clearly he stopped believing in Wentz. And I don't know, like, what do you think? Like, do you think like, but I guess like, what do you think? Do you think this is going to be a good move for the Colts in 2021 do you think this is a team that can win the AFC South and I guess they're competing with the Titans really because the Colts are sorry the Texans are about to trade away Deshaun Watson and the Jaguars are they might get they'll, they'll get Trevor Lawrence but there's still a ways to go to be competitive what do you think do you think the Colts are pretty much the clear going to be the favorites at some point to win this uh, division this year or do you think the, the Titans are still have an upper hand I would um if you were to ask me this at the end of last season, of course, I would have said the Titans, but that was, of course, hindsight 2020. Um, I think the Colts are going to be very exciting this season. Um, I, I am a big fan of Jonathan Taylor. I think he really did, I think, heat up towards the end of last season. And, of course, as, as a really young player, that bodes pretty well for his next season. Though, of course, we have seen in the past how inconsistent running back seasons can be, especially for people who started really hot. Um, but aside from that, you know, we had players like T.Y. Hilton who were also – capable of making big plays here and there. And, and we are, and it is interesting to see what they could do with the 
a player like Carson Wentz, who, um, who of course did start out so brightly for Philadelphia. Though I guess one thing that's interesting about Carson Wentz, and, and this is actually from a Greg Bedard article in the Boston Globe, where he actually received um, reports from a few veteran Eagles players in the locker rooms of, of the games where Carson Wentz was struggling. And something that really uh, stuck out was that although Carson Wentz was, of course, a great professional who really tried hard, sometimes, I guess, some veteran players were talking about some issues he had in the dressing room where sometimes he um, he seemed to kind of resist kind of criticism yeah, of his article, play. Yeah, there were reports about that. And that kind of, like, I mean, I don't know. The reason I sort of bring this up in terms of like a, like a Patriots sense is the Patriots were obviously looking for a quarterback and obviously you'd be linked to any starting quarterback, especially one who was a former MVP. Though obviously with Cam Newton, we saw how that worked out. So not always a good idea. But with Wentz, at least I want to just say like, there was talk the Patriots could at least look into him, but they weren't very interested. Maybe it's the contract he signed. He is still owed a lot of money. And I don't know, the attitude I kind of got from like sort of reading about Wentz a little bit through these um, articles, like you mentioned Greg Bedard, but there was also a lot of Philly-based newspapers and outlets I was reading just to get a sense because they have a more informed sense because they watch him every week. And I don't know, it just seemed like sometimes he was kind of it almost seemed like he was sort of expecting not to get criticized and he was sort of expecting to be kind of like the held to a, like he was sort of like above everyone else. I sort of got that sense. Maybe it's not a fair evaluation, but that's sort of what I got. And we know Bill Belichick absolutely hates anyone who's like that. I mean, he even hated Tom Brady for being like that. That's why he pushed him out the door and yeah, that's what happened. But I don't know, like, what do you think about the Patriots going into 2021? Because the quarterback situation, it's still in flux. Like Jared stood up, clearly they don't believe in him. And I don't know like what the Patriots do at this point. Like, I mean, Deshaun Watson's available. I mean, the, he wants to leave the Texans. I mean, I would take, I would pretty much trade anything the Texans are asking for Deshaun Watson because he's that good of a player. He's a franchise quarterback. Um, that's really kind of like it. I mean, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't mind him. I mean, I think he's kind of like a game manager at best, but at least he knows the Patriots system. Jacoby Brissett, but like, I don't know, what do you think? Like, who are some names you would sort of like bring up as someone you'd like to see on the team? Not someone who they've been linked to, but like, I don't know, I, among the reasonable choices, who do you think, would you want to see as like the best bet for 2021? It could also be drafting someone. That is a valid answer, by the way. Yeah, I mean, this is the type of question where right? you ask you ask ten different people, you'll you'll get ten different answers just because of all the weird permutations in this mix. Um, and I guess one thing I thought one one idea I found pretty intriguing was actually um, about possibly uh, drafting Mac Jones as a, I believe he's in Alabama right now. Yep, he is Alabama. And I think the thing with I don't know the Alabama quarterbacks always make me a little wary just because they never have really turned out that great. I mean, look at I mean Tua is kind of really early I mean he was injured so but I don't know like I feel overall the thing with Alabama and but at the same time every case is different so that's fair to also note but with Alabama oftentimes they say like the receivers they have such great NFL talent receivers that it makes the life of the quarterback so much easier but yeah I mean Mac Jones is a pretty intriguing prospect and Belichick and Nick Saban the Alabama head coach are definitely buddies so we'll see like I'm sure there's been communication I mean would I take a guy like Mac Jones my answer yeah I mean i I like him. So you like him too then, right? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely pretty intriguing. And, and the reason, well, in this kind of case, I kind of, I, I do defer to experts, right. Cause I don't watch NCAA that much. And one, one person who I, I guess I would consider pretty highly is actually Charlie Weiss. Who's a former offensive coordinator of the Patriots. Yeah. And he was actually a huge, um, I think it was a recent quote from him about how he's a really huge fan rates Mac Jones very highly. Um, and he even does address the point, you know, that of course, 
he has a lot of tools to work with, but still, you know, someone, he still has to make those throws and make his receivers look good. And, and he's definitely not as with Patrick Mahomes, right? Like he has great players to work with, but he also has to make the necessary plays that makes the team elite. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to compare Mac Jones to Patrick Mahomes because I'm not doing that. But at the same time, I think Mac Mm -hmm. Jones, Look, I'd take a chance on any rookie at this point, right? Because I'd rather, like, if you, if you ask me, I'm okay if they sign a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick or Alex Smith, one of those guys, and then draft Mac Jones to kind of sit on the bench and learn from them for a year or two. I think that's a viable option if you spend a first-round pick. Like, they have the 15th overall pick, and clearly they need a quarterback really badly at this point. A quarterback is what sort of sets this team. They saw it with 20 years when they had Tom Brady. They were able to sort of mask some of the weaknesses they had on offenses and still win Super Bowls when you have an elite guy like Brady. Obviously, he's the GOAT, and you're not going to draft the GOAT probably likely, very likely, Mac Jones is not going to be the next Tom Brady. I mean, it would be absolutely stupid for them to think that. But can Mac Jones at least be sort of a building block you use to sort of build your team to the next level? I mean, we'll have to find out what they do. But I don't know. I think a guy like Alex Smith, personally, I'd like it if they signed him and then also got some receivers or tight ends. Like, I mean, Hunter Henry is available, right? I mean, would you take him as a tight end? Zach Ertz is also available. Like, there's plenty of guys who I think are going to be available on the open market. Like, you have Keenan, I'm talking Keenan Allen, sorry. Allen Robinson available. Chris Godwin. There are plenty of players on offense who are available in free agency who I think the Patriots need to target. What do you think? Like, do you think, I mean, if it's me, like, you got to get a quarterback, you got to get a good wide receiver and a good tight end. In addition, you also have to draft as well. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, in terms of, of the quarterback conversation, I do think – I know Andy Hart recently wrote an article about this in WEEI for, like, the radio, and, and I found that pretty appealing about Jared Stidham specifically, right? And, and one thing that's really important to keep in mind, I know a lot of – I know a lot of people, and perhaps justifiably, do think Belichick does, just does not have him in any of his plans or future. But it is important to, to remember a few facts about this chronology here, right? That, first of all – Belichick did have the opportunity to sign players like Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton last spring, as an example, he chose not to. And another thing to keep in mind, right, is that Jared Stidham coming in had pretty much no off season. And I guess one thing that this, this player was actually perhaps positing as, as something that perhaps wasn't even, that might be kind of likely or even possible was that maybe given the, the just absolute lack of fire power that the Patriots had, Maybe Belichick just didn't want to put Jared in a situation where he's pretty much setting him up to fail, That's right? Very interesting. I have, I never even thought about it like that. That is actually a very interesting theory. I mean, because if I really think about it, like even when they were eliminated, they still went with Newton against the Bills and the Jets at the end. I mean, is it, I mean, I never even thought about it like that. I mean, the thing is, like, I haven't really seen Stidham enough, and I'm actually willing to kind of overlook any of the mistakes he's made because. I guess in his defense, he hasn't started a game. He always kind of comes in, like against the Kansas City Chiefs week four. I mean, he wasn't great by any means. He threw two interceptions, but he also threw a touchdown, which was nice. I mean, that was the only touchdown of the game for the Patriots. And I think he's looked okay at times. Like, it's really hard for me to see, like, really evaluate him. I felt at times he kind of chucked it. But in his defense, again, like, the games were kind of over, and he was pretty much coming in garbage time. So I don't think you really you could put much of any stock into like how we did late in games, just because at that time, the defenses are like, it's pretty much second string or not second string, but defenses at that time don't really care that much. The games, everyone's just sort of checked out at that point. Like that's sort of the situation where Stidham came in. So we never really saw him in a competitive environment, but that's actually a very interesting article. I never even thought about it like that, that Belichick was trying to protect Stidham. I mean, that's- uh, I mean, very- If you think about it, 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 it would make sense for why like, 
Why well, oh, he did get sense. such limited guess, playing time. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess when you listen to the media here, everyone's like ripping on Stidham and saying he's like terrible. And I mean, look, I, I don't really, can't really disagree with them at this point. I can't really agree, disagree at them at this point about all this because, yeah, he hasn't been great. But I mean, he also hasn't really had a chance to do anything too much. So, yeah, that's an interesting idea. I mean, look, I mean, if, I mean, he's still only like a second year player and, if you give him some pop, like proper options, I think he could be okay. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it'd be worth trying him out. I mean, he is still pretty young, so maybe that's the plan. Like, you have Jared Stidham, and then you – I don't know. Maybe do you just give him the option then if he can properly win out in camp this year? Like, I don't I don't know. Like, what do you think? I mean, he should I, – I do think that they need to bring in another quarterback, whether it's through drafting or by, by bringing in a veteran that's important. Like, give me some names, but, though. Like, I mean, who, what are some names? Like Fitzpatrick, Alex Smith? like that. I would say Fitzpatrick's in the conversation. Um, I personally don't agree with the following one, but I know Marcus Mariota's in the conversation. Um, and I know, of course, like I mentioned, Mac Jones is in the, or Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's going to be a great fit for us. Um, but I will Brissett, say that Jacoby Brissett. or Jacoby Brissett, who, who is at the Colts right now. But I, I do think that people have just completely left Stidham out of the conversation. And I, I don't know if that makes sense because because of the facts I just stated. Right. Why didn't he? He did have opportunities for more for experienced players and he just chose not to. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the offense was kind of depleted. So maybe that if Belichick really does love Stidham and I don't know who knows at this point who Belichick really cares about. But yeah, I mean, if he really loves him and this was his way of protecting him like i guess this is like the first time i've heard a theory but you know it's actually an interesting i mean the more i think about it, it actually makes sense like he actually wanted to protect stedham and make sure that he was sort of like ready for i guess next season he didn't want his ego like not ego but his confidence because i guess a young guy like him like going into a situation it can ruin the confidence that's an interesting that's a very interesting argument and maybe i don't know i guess we'll have to see what happens going forward i mean definitely they have to yeah, bring someone on sure. board but yeah, no, I mean, the last thing I'm just going to touch upon this because neither I don't, I didn't really watch too much hockey. The Bruins, um, they're supposed to be, they're playing actually right now on Lake Tahoe. But I just thought this really kind of, I almost it's, it's kind of like an embarrassing situation for the NF, NHL. But apparently the game yesterday between two teams was postponed or it was can't, delayed for eight hours due to the ice conditions on Lake Tahoe. That to me is absolutely embarrassing. You have a game midseason and it goes midway. The game's already happening. You delay for eight hours due to these conditions. Isn't that absolutely like a disaster, a joke for the NHL to even have this type of issue? I don't have an issue with them playing on Lake Tahoe. Look, they have outdoor games. like They have the Winter Classic and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I just thought it was very humorous just to sort of just hear how a game midway can just be delayed for eight hours. That to me is absolutely inexcusable and an, an utter embarrassment for the NHL. Yeah, it was pretty, um, definitely really unexpected, though, I guess. Um, and I guess it does kind of raise the question about why they would start a game when the, when the sun was up in, like, literally probably the hottest point in the day, technically. Um, but I guess, I guess, um, and, I, and it is really disruptive, of course. Like, it, the, the closest analogy that you could ever have is, like, in soccer when you have, like, a, a thunderstorm. But that's usually, you know, maybe we're done within 30 minutes or an hour. But that, I mean, of course, that being said, player safety is the number one thing. So they do, it's, it's more, I guess, a question of why the situation like this would happen. Um, and I guess part of it is to do with the fact that you are transit or that at least the NHL has started doing more about having these outdoor skating rink, uh, outdoor kind of ice 
these arenas, which which I personally think is is a pretty cool thing to do because I think yeah, I don't have an issue happening. with them doing that. I'm just like, if you do it, you better like make sure this doesn't happen because this is extreme. Like, if I'm a player, I'm absolutely livid. Like, especially if my game got postponed for eight hours. Think about the momentum that just changes, right? If it's like a two nothing game and then all of a sudden just eight hours, you guys aren't playing and you have to wait. Like, that's a huge disruption. Like, I have to be pissed as a player. I don't have an issue with them doing it again. Like, every year they have the winter classic. I think it's a pretty cool thing when you have a game at Fenway park sometimes like i don't have an issue with that i just have an issue with this type of thing that comes up and this better this shouldn't be happening again that's what i'm trying to really say like i don't care i I, I, also to think like maybe it just sort of like maybe it just really kind of like made me sort of like question it it's because for the bruins game their game has been moved their game had to be moved two times due to like some weather issues i'm like you have to make sure like everything is sort of like set in stone with these things, right? Like I mean, by set in stone, like you should have like a clear idea of when to have a game and stuff like that. You shouldn't have to backtrack this many times. You should have a better sense. Like you should know the surrounding environments better. So that's why I have an issue with it. I don't care like that they have a game. They can play a game anywhere. Like I really don't care. I just think this is just something that's inexcusable and this should not be happening again. Yeah, it's definitely like, it's a huge, um, it's a huge disruption in game mentality and, and momentum and all those things. So so I do, I do, uh, I guess I hope they maybe learn from it and and maybe have some, I mean, I don't know, I don't know too much about that because I don't watch hockey as much, but like if they have some way of doing quality control on ice conditions before the game starts or or some way to predict it a little better. Because um, also, if you think about it, it's also a pretty, it, it is kind of a safety thing, right? Like what if, what if that integrity issue became something that happened while like the, the right at the end yeah, of the first exactly. half, right? I mean, that's and like, like liability, injury liability. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we, we, it's like, I think what they were saying from the conditions that you could literally see chunks starting to emerge. Right. And, and that was really concerning. Like if, if, you know, if, if you're a player and you're just thinking, you know, if this can happen tw- in 20 minutes, maybe it'll happen right now. Maybe I'm just, yeah. And the league, and should have, gonna break. league should know this. Like if we were able to talk about this, the league should have like, be able to be prepared for this type of stuff. And the clearly, clearly they weren't because an eight hour delay is means they weren't prepared, but, yeah, anyways, let's uh, see what happens. The Bruins um, are playing right now. But, yeah, that's going to be the show for this week, guys. Obviously, Anirban, thank you for joining us. Um, or at some point, he'll be back again. Every week, we try to see who's on. Rohan will be back next week. But, no, thank you, Anirban, for joining. It was great talking. And definitely, I guess, as I know, soccer is one of your big passions. Uh, we'll definitely try to bring you on and some other soccer fans at some point to discuss this more. But, no, to everyone, all the listeners, um, have a great rest of your Sunday night or depending on where you are, uh, evening, afternoon. And we'll be back again next weekend to recap another week in sports. Um, Until then, stay safe. Thanks for having me.